Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, a network for early career researchers. Hello, my name is Amy Monaghan and welcome to another podcast recording for the NIHR Dementia Researcher website. This week, we'll be looking at things I wish I had known sooner. And I think that's a very hot topic among early and mid-career researchers. And we've got three great panellists in today. Um, Coming back for a second recording are Deborah and Hannah. And we've also got Mark with us today. So Mark, if you'd like to introduce yourself and say a few words about what you do. Yes, hello everyone. I'm Dr. Mark Dallas. I'm a lecturer in cellular and molecular neuroscience at the University of Reading. Uh, and that in- involves uh, me teaching and also active dementia researcher. And Deborah, welcome back. If you'd like to say a few words about what you do. Yeah. Hello, my name is Deborah de Oliveira. I am from Brazil originally. Um, I'm a nurse by background and I came to the UK in 2013 to do my PhD. Um, and now I work as a research fellow at the Institute of Mental Health in the University of Nottingham. And Hannah, welcome back to you as well. If you'd like to say a few words about what you are researching. Okay, thank you very much for having me. Uh, so my name is Hannah Isatalos, and I am doing a PhD at Bristol University within the Remember Group. And in my PhD, I study whether or not we can use dopamine to enhance different memory, pro- memory processes. That's great. And I am Amy Monaghan. I'm a postdoctoral research associate at the Alzheimer's Research UK Drug Discovery Institute at UCL. Um, And it's my first position in dementia research, actually. So today we're going to be talking about things I wish I had known sooner. And we're going to talk about this in the context of our careers as researchers and as dementia researchers, but also maybe on a personal level, what we just what should we have done and what what advice would we give to other people um, that are just starting out in dementia research? Um, Maybe we'll start with you, Mark, looking back at your career. Maybe first, actually, just tell us a little bit about your career and how you got to to where you are now, and then we can reflect back. Yeah, sure. So uh, I started my uh, scientific career at the University of Dundee, uh, then proceeded south to the the University of Leeds, where I undertook a PhD in neuroscience. Uh, And that's where I started to really get to grips with the brain and and things that go right and things that go wrong. Uh, Following that, uh, I then was uh, uh, generous enough to... we accepted uh, funding from dementia charities, uh, and that was looking at cellular processes. So our research really starts to understand the mechanisms of disease, and that's how my interest in dementia research started. And looking back at that career and the the way that it's it's gone, do you think you went down the right routes all the time? Is there a, was there a particular turning point that you can you can pinpoint, or was it all plain sailing? <laughs> Uh, I think it's science, full stop. Uh, science is never plain sailing. Uh, I think it's about uh, learning your research topic and understanding the research question. And I think one of the major factors in terms of dementia research is growing a, a collaborative network. So again, it's not all about us as single researchers trying to tackle what is a, a global challenge. It's thinking about how we can actually impact and maybe build or put a piece of the jigsaw in to actually help our researchers develop their stories as well. And Deborah, you came to the UK to to undertake your PhD and now your postdoctoral research as well. Um, So if you can tell us a little bit about that journey and maybe any of the challenges that you've had along the way. Right. Um, 
I'm actually thinking about what I would have done differently if I if I could start again. Um, and I think I would have um, gone for a research program that is already established um, instead of doing my own PhD research project in isolation. Um, I think looking at colleagues next to me that are doing research as part of a team, that are everybody looking at the same kind of phenomenon and research questions, I think you have a lot to gain from that. And sometimes when you're doing your own research project, you are kind of finding out the answers by yourself. And that can be uh, very time consuming and sometimes really isolating. So that's what I would have done differently. Perhaps. And Hannah, I think you, you were nodding along before when, when Deborah said that. Yeah, that um, at least there there are multiple of these sort of PhD uh, grants that um, that are used to fund a cohort of PhD students, and they might all do separate individual projects with different supervisors and so on. But um, they have a cohort that is doing a PhD at the same time in a similar topic, um, and. If I had realized when I was applying for PhDs what the difference is between having that cohort um, doing the same thing compared to doing your individual PhD, um, I think I would have thought twice about applying for my Can we examine PhD. those differences a little bit more? So what did you perceive to be the difference of, of not being within a cohort? So um, within my research group, um, I know of two other PhD students, one who has already finished his PhD, who um, did their PhDs as a part of one of these cohorts. And they had weekly seminars, uh, a lot of interaction with other PhD students, just a whole body of uh, support in terms of getting practical sessions on their skill, on building their skills towards uh, writing a good thesis. Um, and just having those other people who are going through the same thing um, in, the, in the same time frame um, compared to not really having that kind of a structure. Um, so from my perspective, how I've seen it is that they have a lot of support that you don't get if you're not a part of one of those programs. Yeah, so I think that what that speaks to is really, really, particularly for people considering pursuing a PhD, there are two two key things that I think are important which is one you have to be super passionate about what you're about to pursue and it probably is the same for, for postdocs actually you have to be super passionate because if you're not you're not you're not as likely to see it through because it is it is hard work and at times it can be quite isolating um, and then the second one is to look carefully at the program that you're going to do and the institution that you're going to do it at because different institutions have different um support networks in place they have different emphasis on career development personal development or or pure research as it were um i don't think it's always the case that if you don't i wasn't part of a, a cohort necessarily but i was i did start my phd on the first of october with a whole bunch of other phd students and we naturally formed kind of that su that support group um so i think just just being very very careful not rushing into it i'll speak a little bit more about that that later um but doing your research making sure that it's what you want to do and making sure that you're going to be in an environment as much as you can make sure because it can be hard moving to a different city or a different country in fact um 
as much as much as you can be sure that this is what you want to do and where you want to do it and that you're going to be appropriately supported through it i think that's that's all covered everything there um so that's the the key thing that you wish you'd known starting your your phd um is there something positive from your phd that that you wish you'd you'd known at the start that could have really helped to that or that has helped to motivate motivate you through um what do you mean something that i what have you really enjoyed from from your phd that maybe you didn't anticipate i didn't expect that i would have such a good relationship with my supervisors i think that was absolutely um necessary for me to be able to do my PhD abroad and in less than three years really so it was really they were really encouraging and really trying to get the best out of me and my my best potential and and always supportive and not only for the PhD but for everything else that I needed really because life happens (laughs) (laughs) Uh, believe it or not life happens uh, parallel to PhD so um, any problems you may have, your supervisors are always there, and that's that's very good. So I think that was very positive for my PhD. Um, Hannah, have you got anything to, to add to that? Yeah, I think one of the advice that we often hear when people before people apply for PhDs is that they should make sure they have a chat with their supervisor if they can get some experience in the lab, meet them a few times to get a sort of feel of what sort of a person you're going to be working with and um, I certainly didn't do that I met my supervisor for the first time when I had already been accepted on the um, for the scholarship Um, we had spoken on the phone so I did get really lucky in that I get on with three supervisors and we all get along really well and they are all very supportive and I'm extremely lucky to get to work with these people Um, so that just sort of fell into place Um, about having seen other people who haven't been that lucky that is definitely an advice that I would recommend people follow up because you don't want to be just counting on pure luck when Mm -hmm. you enter something this intensive and Mark will go a little bit further down the career the career pathway scary I know Um, so in your experience moving moving through the the levels through postdoc towards lecturer um, what what have you learned becoming an independent researcher that that maybe you wouldn't have anticipated? Uh, I think sort of leading on from uh, what the girls have mentioned is uh, finding someone uh, in their cases their PhD supervisors finding a mentor finding someone that's not necessarily within your research field but can give you uh, pertinent and timely advice that maybe your supervisor or the person running your project is not in a position to do, whether that through competitive issues or the pressures on them to deliver the research within your particular programme grant or whatever. Uh, so I've really found uh, that having a mentor outside that area has really sort of helped me carve a path because it is, is a difficult transition going from postdoc one to postdoc two to should I do another postdoc or should I try uh, and think about making that transition into sort of leadership and running your own sort of independent group. Have there been any key pieces of, of advice that you've had along that journey that you think have really been been important maybe in the the postdoc to postdoc to potential leader situation that I think a lot of people find themselves in? 
I think uh, one of the, the pieces of advice looking back is learning how to sell yourself. Because uh, as scientists, we don't often like to talk about what we do, although here we are <laughs> sharing uh, pieces of advice. Uh, and that's part and parcel of making you an independent researcher. Actually, people are going to invest in you if they believe in your science and you can explain that. So I think uh, being able to actually communicate that from point of view in terms of selling yourself is key. And that only builds as you go from being someone who is in a research group to then leading that research group. And again, that then sort of leads into the kind of communication element again in terms of dementia research. That's that's one of the bigger things now is actually getting out and telling people about your research, whether that be other scientists at research conferences or whether that be actually the lay public. It's interesting because um, I'm probably in in the in your past, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm turning you know from one from one postdoc to another postdoc, and one difficulty that I have in this situation is that there are so many things out there, and also there is nothing, so it's very difficult to decide what exactly to do, uh, what is relevant to you at that point in time, you know, should I be doing this kind of things, uh, should I go to London to record a podcast, you know, should I be doing um, some, I don't know, supervision with undergrad students? I don't know. Is this relevant to me right now? Because there are so many opportunities and not everything will be kind of um, a useful time of your, a useful... um, Use of your time. Yeah. (laughs) A good use of your time, exactly. Yeah, definitely. So So I think I can come back at that, I think. Uh, it depends on where you want to go. You know, I think a lot there's a lot of pressure on PhD students and postdoctoral researchers to continue in academia. I think there's a lot of pressure on them, and it's up to them to decide on whether they think that is. And that's not a failure. Leaving academia is not a failure in any way. There are plenty of opportunities out there, whether that be in industry, whether that be in teaching and other career professions. It's about finding what fits for you. Hopefully after your postdoctoral positions, you've done a two or three, you've got an understanding of what it is to be an independent researcher. And again, things like this podcast, and and one thing that I did in my PhD was actually demonstrating to undergraduates. So again, getting a little bit of teaching experience, being able to explain some of the science to that level, again, builds your confidence and you get a feel for what it would be like to be a lecturer. I think um, exploring alternative careers, actually, even if you are set hard and fast that I am going to be an academic researcher and that's what I want to do and that's what I believe in. Sometimes exploring alternative career paths and speaking to people that are in those career paths because you will, in a research environment, in your undergraduate, in your postgraduate, in your postdoc, you are surrounded by people who think that the next career, the next job, the next step in your career is within academia. And actually, that might not be the best fit for you. But unless you ask those questions and you might on the theme of things you'd wish you'd known sooner, you might find actually that someone has the perfect job for you and you really want to do that. And that's not within academia. And that's fine. And you might find it more rewarding in in however you you find things rewarding. Um, So I think that's a very important thing to do quite early on is to speak to lots of different people and don't dismiss one career or, or another just because it, it's not what has been preached to you. I think now there's I think there is a shift now of ideas in, in relation to that because it used to be I think very much as a failure or something like that you know you, you're not good enough to be in academia but actually now you're being encouraged by for example I'm, I'm leading uh, I'm managing a Marie Curie grant and 
it is about intersectorial, interdisciplinary research. And so we are training researchers to become leaders outside academia and also to make these links because academia in isolation cannot progress without the clinical um, environment, without um, the industry, without the people themselves. And so I think I can see that as a, as a helpful tip for myself. <laughs> So I think we'll change tack a little bit for now, but we'll come back to the the career stuff at the end because I think it is important. Um, We're going to go into our dementia research. Um, So the question is, what from your research do you think, do you wish you'd known sooner? But I I think that's a strange question because I wish I'd known what the answer was before I started (laughs) doing the research and then I would have saved a lot of time and a lot of money. But if there's a particular um, learning from your research, whether that's about the the research itself whether that's about how you collaborate with people or um with people that are living with dementia um if there's ways that you could inform your your studies better maybe any anything around that topic and we'll we'll see where it goes they're all thinking very very hard let's start with mark Uh, yeah well i think my my research has maybe taken taken an interesting path uh so my sort of initial studies uh, were looking at hypoxia and trying to understand what the lack of oxygen in one's brain does to the cells. Uh, and that kind of kicked off two areas of research that I'm still sort of progressing today. It's thinking about how hypoxia as an initial insult can then influence uh, some prolonged changes in the physiology of the brain that can predispose people to neurodegeneration or dementia. What also, well, what also interested us at the time is the other cells in the brain everyone's so hung up on the neurons the nerve cells that die but what we were actually interested in is the glial cells the so-called glue that holds these cells the neurons together Uh, and so that's something we are going on to investigate uh, further with uh, dementia charity research funding and did you foresee that at the at the beginning was that a surprise to you to enter dementia research uh, I don't think I was surprised. I think it was something that the opportunity arose uh, and, and we took it. Uh, and again, I think uh, going back to things I'd known uh, or things I'd have liked to have known when I was doing it is that by actually engaging with some of the charities, we got a chance to speak to carers and patients. Very much myself, I'm in a laboratory, I wear a white coat. I don't go out and speak to these people. So putting that perspective on it actually encouraged me to continue my research uh, and get back into the lab and try to understand some of these mechanisms of disease. And Hannah, if you'd like to, to say uh, a few so words. This is perhaps uh, a little bit more general than just dementia research, but within health research. I wish in my first year of my PhD, when I went to get some guidance and advice from the university's research governance team, and they told me it's going to take two years to set up a clinical trial. And I went to my supervisor and she was like, no, we can do it quicker. Um, I wish I could go back in time and tell both myself and my supervisor it's going to take longer than that. so yeah take advice when you can take it deborah deborah's shaking her head she's she's lost i think this is the first time this evening that you've been lost for words (laughs) i actually think that's the case um so we'll go off on a bit of a, a different tack then um is there anything that you've learnt along the way that has helped you develop resilience? So dealing with, I think as researchers, we are generally notoriously bad at dealing with failure because we are, I think 
always always trying to do better and and the reason a lot of people do research is because they want to to improve things uh, for people so Deborah maybe you could talk if there's any strategies or anything um I think the best strategy for me is to talk about it so the more I talk about it and more I share with people the more I find out that actually people it's not why you're here is it <laughs> no really <laughs> but I think um you just realize that people are passing through, you know are living the same kind of having the same experiences and and sometimes they have very good advice in how to deal with that specific issue because they had faced that before so for me talking about it was very helpful um and i don't know but i feel like as a postdoc i'm facing much more challenges in my career than i did in my phd i think there's much more uncertainty um in terms of career and you are supposed to be much more independent and so that makes you more vulnerable somehow as well so i'm still finding out how to be resilient <laughs> um i definitely agree with talking about it so whether it is having people face to face or platforms like twitter um where you can find other people who are in the same situation, people who are maybe more senior to you, who can give you advice. I definitely find that really helpful. Um, and I think just give, networks. yeah, and just give yourself some time. Um, I feel like the more I rush through the concerns and the, the stress that I'm having is worse. So just give yourself some time. So sometimes you just need to give a step back and to be able to give ten forward. So just breathe a little bit and and think about the possibilities later and um, mark have you got any any tips yeah I, I think it's learning from failure uh again uh i'm sure uh, in time all scientists will uh, get the rejection letter whether that be for publications or grants but it's having that moment of frustration dealing with it and getting on with it and then actually then going and revisiting that grant and taking that feedback on board and actually developing that application to something that's better and actually is going to be more fundable in terms of actually continuing that strand of your research. So I think it's about learning from failure and not necessarily just getting all consumed by it that it, that it ends up spiraling out of control. But I find it hard in terms of, um, you know, taking on board the criticism and, um, and putting it aside a little bit and then revisiting it. It's because we have so many, I'm not talking about myself, but I have so, so many friends also doing research in dimension and the contracts are so short so you don't really have that time to revisit later so it, it it was a waste of time because you don't really have time so i feel like the the way this the postdocs are set up nowadays is is very difficult to kind of of um having enough headspace to to move on with things so you would definitely value more security in your Absolutely. in your in your contract and contract Absolutely. contract lens. Yeah. yeah. Um so I think we'll move on now so if you had one piece of advice and this can come for, let's go for career first and then for some a budding dementia researcher second. So um we'll start with one piece of advice that that you would take from your career and and give to to someone else what would be that first piece of ad- advice? Mark? Uh, I would say grab any opportunity that comes. It might not be the opportunity you're looking for, but it might open new doors to you. So, for example, I wasn't necessarily looking for a career in dementia research, but through uh, taking postdoctoral positions, here I am today. Um, I think 
uh, we were talking about this uh, earlier on. I think um, not rushing. I think, you know, sometimes you feel like it's been months, but actually it's just been a week. So just give yourself a little bit of a break and, and enjoy every minute of, for example, your PhD. I started my postdoc while I was doing my PhD uh, because of being afraid and all the pressure of, of finding a job. But actually, if you finish it and and have the time to look at all your options, that can be very valuable, I think. Yeah, I think, well, I'm definitely from the, the same school of thought there where I was finishing my degree and thought oh, well, I've got to do a PhD and I've got to do a PhD now otherwise I'm never going to do a PhD so I went and I got myself a PhD and didn't really think about the context or anything and I've been quite lucky it's worked out well but then I came to the end of my PhD and I didn't really think about it until I was about three months before the end of my PhD and I applied for a postdoc and I got a postdoc so I went and did did that and it's worked out quite well, but definitely my advice to anyone would be reflect on yourself and reflect on what you want from the next step in your career. And if what you're about to do is what you really want, and if it's not, stop and take the time to identify what is. Obviously, Mark, if the perfect opportunity comes along at the right time, I would definitely agree with you that you should definitely grab it. Um, but just taking the time to make sure that you know what you're getting yourself in for and that it's the right thing for you at the right time. Hannah, have you got any advice that, um, that's not already been given? <laughs> um, so approaching this question from a different perspective uh, in terms of doing research, the one um, advice I'd give myself if I could go back in time is to just be amazing at keeping good notes. Um, <laughs> write down everything you've done because then one of the things I've learned while I've been doing this PhD in memory is that our memory will fail us. So <laughs> four years later, when you need to know exactly how you did that analysis or what that one column in your data sheet means, you really want it to be annotated. You really want to have good notes on that. And that code you wrote when you first learned how to code suddenly doesn't make any sense when you've not looked at it for three years. I think that's brilliant advice. I think there's a lot of researchers that curse the, the past version of themselves for thinking that they would remember everything um, when they didn't. Going back to the dementia research strand, so let's give ourselves a scenario of a very excited honor student that's about to embark on a PhD or a, a PhD student who's not been in dementia that wants to move into the dementia research field. Is there any specific advice you would give to them? Deborah? If the person is not in dementia, mm -hmm. um, I would suggest a person to speak to people with dementia. Uh, first of all, regardless if your research is in psychosocial side, if it's in lab research, you have to understand what the person is going through to understand the impact of that. Um, and I am sure from that conversation or from the many conversations you may have with that person, you're going to come up with a much more uh, meaningful research question to do in your PhD and that will make you much more excited and encouraged to continue working in the bad times. <laughs> uh, and coming from the sort of human cognitive neuroscience um, approach, if you're looking at doing a PhD in dementia, you want to make sure that the, that the supervisors you're approaching have access to that population and experience in uh, working with this population before. It's um, surprisingly difficult to find people living with dementia 
um, given how many there are. And Mark? Uh, yes, I'm coming from the sort of laboratory side of things. I think it's key key to be able to put it into real world context. You know, it's an exciting time to get involved in dementia research. Uh, and certainly the UK is uh, sort of growing in terms of its reputation. But I think when you're in the lab, you need to remember what it is you're trying to achieve in terms of those day-to-day experiments. When things don't go right, you will have them, but actually being able to put that into context in terms of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, and I think what I would say, particularly my PhD was in prostate cancer research. So doing a complete change of field, it's not impossible. Um, but be prepared to to work hard because there is a lot to learn. Um, but it is a very rewarding field to to work in, and there are a lot of skills that you can apply from wherever you've worked before, whatever research you've done before, from your degree to a new field. So don't be afraid to make that leap across. So I think that's everything from us today. Thank you all very very much for coming in. It's been a really interesting discussion, actually. Um, if you want to find more of our podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and SoundCloud and you can visit dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk and if you have enjoyed the podcast, please do tell your friends. Um, if you've got any suggestions for future podcasts, any questions about what we've been talking about today, you can tweet us at dem underscore researcher or you can use the hashtag ECRDementia. Um, Thank you all very much for coming in today. It's been really nice to speak to you and hopefully we'll see you all again soon. Thank you. This was a podcast brought to you by Dementia Researcher. Everything you need in one place. Register today at dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk.